Now, if you're able, please stand for the reading of the word. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Had to check and make sure we're still morning, technically. So (laughs) it is good to be with you here today. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know. And, uh, you know, this morning at around 7 a.m., our high school ministry, many of our high school students took off for Hume Lake uh, Summer Camp. And so they are, are headed down there for the week. So you can be in prayer for our high school ministry and for the leaders. Um, be in prayer for myself as well. After church is done today, I'm gonna go and drive down and go and spend the week hanging out with them as well and uh, just helping to disciple some of our students and you know, figured what better way to spend vacation time than go and hang out with a bunch of high school students. So um, I am I'm thrilled to go down there. I, I love the summer camp experience and having been a youth pastor for 15 years and grown up in church, I've been to a lot of summer camps and, and really enjoyed my experience and my time there. And, and, and there's always just this, this great like movement that, that of students towards God, towards his truth, towards just a, a greater commitment to pursuing who he is and, and what he has in store for them. And so, um, you know, I look back on my time at summer camp and just what summer camp means to me, and I, and I have a grateful heart for that time. They actually say that, that one week of summer camp is equivalent to about seven months of youth ministry. So in terms of impact, maybe also in terms of tiredness for youth pastors. But, um, but, but you know, looking at that, like I see how true that is for myself and for students that I've gotten to lead. Uh, but I had a friend who I grew, we grew up together in, and he had similar summer camp experiences. But him looking back, he looks at summer camp a little bit differently than I do. And so he looks back on camp and says, you know what, camp, um, I, I don't really love the camp experience because it just, it feels fake to me. And, and the reason he feels that it's fake is that what happens is you get students who go down to camp and, and they have no phones, they have no distractions. They're all worshiping in the morning and the evening, they're pursuing God. And, and so you get sort of this, this camp spiritual high and, and everyone is, is pursuing Jesus and they're making commitments and they're repenting of sin and they're turning towards God and all that he has in store for them. And then they come home and it's like a week later, it's like camp never even happened. 
in many ways, right? They're just back to their old ways, back to their old routines, back to their old habits and distractions and everything else. And, and so it's a little bit discouraging when you look at what happens in camp and then what happens uh, the, the rest of the year with some of these students. But the thing is, for me, I always looked at camp and, and said, you know what, the camp is, is, is it's a very real experience. It's what I would hope that we get to experience because we are consistently pursuing God and you're surrounded by other Christians who are encouraging you and strengthening you and, and, and helping you build up your faith and you're being challenged and you're, you're in worship and morning and evening and you're doing all these things that really, I think, are, are very biblical and very good. But the problem is, is that because of the, the isolation impact, you're missing a part of what it means to be the church. And so a part of being the church is gathering together and being filled up and being encouraged and being strengthened and being challenged. The other part of that is actually going into the world and living out our call to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's living out our call to go and make disciples. And so what happens is it, when we are at a place like summer camp or even when we come to church on a Sunday, we get filled up. But if we don't, one, learn how to fill ourselves up throughout the rest of the week or through the rest of our lives, and two, understand that this is just to fill us up so that we can pour Jesus out towards others, then we're missing part of the point of what it means to be the church. This is not just for us to feel good about ourselves for one day. It's about being filled up and strengthened so that we can go and live faithfully towards God every day of the week. And then there's gonna be other little checks and things that we have, whether that's small groups or a prayer and, and praise night or different things like that, that we put into our lives so that we get these extra little encouragement in these times together so that we can keep being faithful to the mission that God has for us. Well, and at church, we see this on, again, that, this micro scale that this is what we do every week. We gather together and we worship and we pray and we're filled up, but we should be doing this so that we can go and pursue God on our own and so that we can go and live on mission for Christ. Because we aren't just gathering as a church, we are being the church. And this is what the disciples were told to do 2,000 years ago and what the church was commanded to do by Jesus. And so what we are commanded to do here and now in our time and our leg of the race today. See, as we dive into the book of Acts, which we just started a series in the book of Acts last week, it really is the first church history book. And so it connects us to our roots. But what we see is that the disciples had this almost camp-like experience, although for a longer period of time. They got to be around Jesus for three years. They were physically present with him, walking with him, talking with him, spending time with him, doing the things that, that he called them to do and learning from him and seeing the miracles and all these different things, being blessed by their time with Jesus. And after three years, Jesus had died, he rose again, and they're up on top of a mountain, which if you've ever been to summer camp, like this is peak like mountaintop experience, right? They're on top of the mountain and Jesus said, hey, I'm going to heaven, but the work is not stopping now. And so in chapter one, verse nine, Jesus ascends into heaven and yet the book of Acts is the continuing work of Jesus Christ. Because the disciples went down that hill, they went down knowing that the Holy Spirit was going to come. The gift that had been promised was going to come. The advocate, the helper that Jesus had talked about in the gospels that Jesus reminded them of in the first chapter of Acts was going to come upon them and they were going to receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered and they had a mission to go and be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so they knew that they had to go and live out their faith on a day-to-day -day basis being filled up and then pouring out Jesus, pouring out his love and his truth for everyone they came in contact with. 
And because, spoiler alert, they were faithful to the call, we sit here today as as a benefactor from what they did 2,000 years ago because they took seriously that call to be witnesses locally and to the ends of the earth. And because they took that call seriously, and the next generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that took it seriously, eventually the gospel came to each and every one of us. And so we sit here in Northern California 2,000 years later, talking about the gospel message, being filled up and encouraged by the same Holy Spirit, because they were faithful to be witnesses as they were called to do. And so now the baton has been handed off to us And we gather together, not just for this one moment, but to be filled up for everything that God has in store for us. Well, Acts chapter two is gonna begin to lay this out. But before we dive into this, I wanna kind of give a definition of what it looks like and what it means to be the church. As we talk about this idea of being the church in the book of Acts, here's, here's just a simple definition that we can take forward with us for today and really for the rest of this series. The church is the collection of God's people who live as witnesses of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is the collection of God's people who live as witnesses of the work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are one small portion of the greater universal church, of the greater global church, of the greater eternal church that has been going on for thousands of years and will continue long after we are gone. But we gather here collectively together to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ, not for our glory, but for his glory. And we do that not through our own strength, but through the strength and the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so here's how this all really got started in Acts chapter two, verse one. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, they, they being talked about there is the apostles, Mary, the other women, um, and, and, and the brothers of Jesus as well. So really, all those who followed Jesus, who put their trust in him, who saw him resurrected, they're gathered together, again, being the church gathered together, waiting to be filled by the Holy Spirit. They're encouraging one another. There's worship. We know that there's prayer. And we're going to see this as a theme throughout the book of Acts, that when we see mighty acts of the Holy Spirit, Oftentimes, if you look a couple of verses before or a chapter before, you're going to see the church gathering together in worship or in prayer. And it's when the church gathers in worship and in prayer that God decides to move. And so here they're all gathered together, but there's also other people who are around because this is the start of the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost, um, we, we don't have the name Pentecost because of the time the Holy Spirit came. That's the primary thing that we think about when we think of Pentecost. But Pentecost was, Penta means 50, and so it was 50 days after Passover, which was the start of a celebration that was commanded in the Old Testament, which was the Feast of Weeks. And so many people from many different nations who had Jewish heritage would gather together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. And so they were all there to worship God and to celebrate Him. But you have people from all different nations and many different languages that were being spoken in this one place. And so they're all together in one place, and then it says this, This is suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now, let's uh, address a potential elephant in the room here, because for, for some who have a church background, you might come from one of two different sides. So as we start talking about things like the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, there are maybe some people in here who have a more charismatic background that are like, finally, like Christ Community Church is finally receiving the Holy Spirit and like now we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, right? Then there are some people who come from a more conservative background. And so you were like, no, I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Bible right? Like, Holy Spirit's kind of weird. Like, I don't know what to do with him. It's kind of out there. Like, what is that? And so let's just, let's just give a couple quick points. We could easily spend weeks or days doing this, but um, just a couple quick points. First of all, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. And Dustin mentioned this earlier. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. One God in three persons. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal parts of God. They're the same essence, the same nature, and yet three distinct persons who typically do distinct things and distinct works. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who will dwell within us and leads and guides us and speaks to our hearts and also is an intercessor between us and the Father as well. And so the Holy Spirit is not someone to be afraid of. It's also not just a power. It is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, right? It is God. And so it's not someone to be afraid of or, or to be nervous about, but it is someone that we should rejoice in knowing that he has indwelt within our hearts. Now, there's a, a, a conversation about speaking in tongues as well, which again leads to some debate about speaking in tongues. We want to be faithful to, the, to what Luke is trying to do here in Acts chapter 2, though. And so in Acts chapter 2, Luke is not trying to answer a lot of questions about what speaking in tongues is or, or whether or not it's going to continue or, or whether or not this is a sign for all believers. Now, if we were to go to 1 Corinthians 14, there are some instructions on speaking in tongues, on what that looks like in the church, and, and, and some guidance there as to saying, hey, some have it, some don't have it. So this is something that it's not a sign that, it's for, um, that, that means you have to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian or to have the Holy Spirit. But the, but the speaking in tongues is a significant gift, and it's a significant sign that Luke wants to address. As a matter of fact, he will address it multiple times throughout the book of Acts, where he's not going to address fire or wind again, but he uses this idea of speaking in tongues to demonstrate the Holy Spirit comes uh, on unexpected people, typically. So all of these theophanies, these, these visible signs of God, the fire, the wind, and the speaking in tongues, they are here to tell us one thing. And that is that this is a move of God, not of man, but a move of God. They're here to tell us that the Holy Spirit that has been promised really has come upon the apostles. That this really is the act of the Spirit and it is the time of the Spirit leading God's people to do the work that he's called them to do. And so when you look at these different things, you see wind, and you see that wind in Scripture is oftentimes attributed to God's power and strength. And in Ezekiel 37, you see that wind is used to describe resurrection power from God. And you see fire used to demonstrate God's presence. You see this in Moses in the burning bush. You see this um, in, in when the Israelites are and uh, the Exodus, and they're walking out of Egypt and, and head towards the promised land, and you see the pillar of fire that, that leads them at night. You also see fire described in Isaiah 66 as, um, as something that represented end times judgment. And, and so we have these, these signs that, hey, yes, God's power is here, and the truth that he has spoken is here, and you are going to go forward and be his witnesses. 
And then you have speaking in tongues. And, and again, this is the one that Luke will continue to go back to to show us that what Jesus spoke in Acts 1.8 is really happening here and now and continues to happen throughout the, uh, throughout the, the book of Acts and into our, our future. So go back to Acts 1.8 and I'll, I'll demonstrate what this is talking about. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so again, here we see this sign as the disciples are speaking. And in Acts 2, it is talking about known languages, which we'll see in just a moment. But as they begin to speak in language that were unknown to them and yet known to others, this is a clear power. It is a clear gift that was given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. Right? This was not something that they spent time working on. This wasn't something that they practiced. The Holy Spirit didn't give them Rosetta Stone or Duolingo and say, here, good luck with that. Like they were just given the ability to speak in tongues that were unknown to themselves, but were known to others. And so this was a power that came to them through the Holy Spirit. And then it tells us that the power exists for a purpose and the purpose is to be witnesses. It says you will receive power you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is given not to make us look really cool, not just so that they could do this thing that just amazed people, but so that they could be witnesses of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to come and empower them to be witnesses of the power of Jesus Christ, of the truth of what Jesus did. The Spirit came upon them to allow them to proclaim the message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that Son, that Messiah, that Savior they'd been waiting for was the person of Jesus. That he really was the one who died for the sins of the world, who rose again, so that those who put their trust in him can receive life and walk into eternity with confidence, knowing that they have been redeemed and made new and bought and paid for and adopted into the family of God. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And as they begin to speak in tongues, the other thing is when you look at where the Spirit is supposed to take them, it says you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, but then to the ends of the earth. Well, what better sign is there that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth than for the people empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in languages so that every person who is scattered across the world could hear the gospel message in their own native tongue. And so this is the power of the Holy Spirit. That he clarifies the gospel message, that he makes it understandable, that he gives us power and strength to, to preach his word to reach here locally and to the ends of the earth. And what's really cool about this moment as well is that we, we talked about this in our Genesis series back in January and February. And in Genesis chapter 11, there's this moment where the people are building a tower. And they're building a tower for their own glory. They're building a tower for their own protection, for their own provision, so that they can make themselves great. And so God comes down and he sees the tower and he comes down and he says, no, 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 this isn't good. You don't exist for your own glory. You exist for my glory. We exist for God's glory. 
And so God comes down and he scatters the people across the world and he confuses their language. Because when we try to proclaim a message that is for our own glory, God is going to thwart our plans. God is going to confuse our language. God is going to make it difficult, challenging, or impossible for that message to go forward because that message is destructive. And what happens is in Genesis chapter 11, you have this moment where God has scattered them and it seems like hope is lost. It seems like the people are gone. It seems like just an act of judgment, but it really was an act of God's grace. And right at the end of Genesis chapter 11, we meet a man named Abraham. And then one page later in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. In the end of that promise, he tells Abraham, he says that through you, all nations, all people are going to be blessed. And if you trace the family line of Abraham, you see that there was blessing that came to his family line, but you come to a point where you find a a baby being born in a little town called Bethlehem. And the person of Jesus Christ came through the family line of Abraham, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, came as the savior of the world, fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, a sinner's death, so that he could wash our sins away and yet conquered the grave so that we know that we can have life through him. And because of the work of Jesus, we know that salvation is possible. But also in the blood of Christ, all nations have the opportunity to be blessed. Because as Jesus did his work and then ascended to heaven, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will allow you to be witnesses of the work that I have done, not just here in Jerusalem, but through the ends of the earth. And right here in this moment, we see that all nations will be blessed through the person of Jesus Christ. And so it tells us this, it says, now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And so here is is the, the restoration of what happened in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, when people were scattered and languages were confused and they were no longer able to plot and plan for their own glory, here the people are brought together and the language is clarified so that they can hear the wonders of God. This is the message that God wants us to hear. And this is the message that he wants us to proclaim. And he has gifted us with the Holy Spirit to both receive that message for ourselves and to go and share that message with others. And so God is gonna do the work of, of clarifying the language of making the gospel understood but he's also going to empower us and give us boldness and strength in moments where it seems unlikely. See, immediately following these verses, what you have is you have the apostle Peter stand up and he addresses the crowd and he begins to preach this sermon. 
Peter, who, if you remember, was the one in, in the Gospels that constantly just kept putting his foot in his mouth. As a matter of fact, in the book of Luke, the last thing that we see from Peter is we see him deny Christ three times and walk away sadly. Now, we know in the Gospel of John, there's a little bit of restoration after the resurrection, but when Luke leaves Peter, he, he, he leaves the story of Peter with Peter denying Christ and walking away sadly. And then immediately in Acts chapter 1, we see Peter again begin to be a leader of the early church. And here in Acts chapter 2, boldly proclaim the message of Jesus. And so this is what happens when we meet the resurrected Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are given strength, we are given courage, we are given boldness that did not exist on our own. We are given an ability to be witnesses of Jesus Christ that was not possible under our own strength. And what's really interesting is Peter gets up and he, he shares the message and there's no personal stories in there. There's no jokes. You know, I'm like, hey, I have a few things I could teach him. And then we get to this point near the end and, and, and he says, it says that Peter replied to them because they said, what shall we do? And he, he replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And it says that 3,000 people came to receive the message that day. And like, this is clearly an act of the Spirit moving through Peter, giving him boldness and strength, allowing him to speak to people who, whose language he doesn't know, whose language he doesn't understand, so that they can hear the message and receive it. And God is doing the work of opening hearts so that the message of Christ continues to be received. But the end of Peter's message to the people who are listening is that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you too can receive the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you will be strengthened, you will have salvation, you will have confidence in your eternity, but also you will be able to be a witness. And those 3,000 people were filled with the Spirit and began to go and live not in, the strength, not in their strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, living as his witnesses. And then more begin to hear the message and receive the message through the work of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, the, the gospel message began to impact Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and begin to go out to the ends of the earth. And so here we are 2,000 years later having received that gospel message, having heard the gospel message because the Spirit decided to bring us together so that, so that someone in our life could share that with us so that we could receive that and be filled up so that we can go out and carry the baton in our leg of the race and now be the witnesses of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are included in that collection of people and we have been given a great opportunity and a great privilege to share in the work that God is doing. You know, yesterday I was at Costco. I had to take my, my car in to get a tire fixed. And, and so I dropped the car off and um, walked over to Starbucks. And, and, and then I was, I was walking back to Costco to, to pick up my car. And, and I was just having a moment of prayer and, and just kind of reflection on this passage and thinking about, you know, just what the Holy Spirit has done in my life and what he's going to do in our church and praying for our church and, you know, praying that we would be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. And as I'm praying and thinking on this passage, I, I, I begin to look around and look at all the people who I was passing by. 
And most of the time when, when, when I'm walking, I mean, I'm, I'm a shy introvert, right? So I'm just like, people are here. I'm going to put my, my face down, and I don't want to see anyone or talk to anyone. Like, I'm just going to do my thing, and that's all, right? And, and, and so I'm just looking up, and, and I start looking at people's faces, and, and I just start thinking, like, I wonder who that person is. I wonder what their story is. And person after person, I begin to think on a deeper level. I begin to think, you know, I wonder if that person knows who Jesus Christ is. And I begin to wonder about where they're headed for eternity. And honestly, I became overwhelmed at how many people I just begin to cross paths with that may or may not know who Jesus Christ is. And I realized that as I walked by all these people yesterday, that so many of them are walking down a path that leads towards death, that leads toward destruction. They're walking down a path that leads towards hell. And here I am with the gospel message, knowing the hope of Jesus Christ and thinking, this is what God has put me on the earth to do to be a witness of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is not any one of us can do it on our own. And this is why God has given us the church to encourage and strengthen one another so we can use all the gifts that are collectively here together and disperse together into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, into our, our, our stores and our, our, our sports teams and our communities so that we as the church can be a witness of the work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so church, we're not just here to gather together and to be filled up for a day. We are here to be filled up so that we can go and pour out the love and the truth of Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. And so we need to be a church that worships. We need to be a church that is praying for the Spirit to move powerfully in our lives individually and in our church collectively. We need to be a church that's praying for revival to happen here in Carmichael and praying that it would happen starting here at Christ Community Church. And then we need to take the message that we have received, the hope that we have been given, and go and share that with all those we come in contact with. We need to be the church, gathering together, living as witnesses of Jesus Christ, not through our strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this week, Let's go and live as witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that reminds us of who you are and what you've, what you've called us to be. That you have welcomed us to you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. That you have invited us into relationship with you. What a blessing that is. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent him into our lives to lead us and to guide us, to remind us of who we are in your eyes, to give us power, strength, boldness, courage, wisdom, knowledge, truth, and love so that we can be your witnesses here and now, locally and to the ends of the earth. So God, I pray that your spirit would come powerfully on each and every one of us individually and powerfully on us as a church. And we would be a light here in Carmichael and all around the world. God, I pray that your kingdom would come here and now as it is in heaven. So God, thank you for including us in what you are up to. Continue to lead and guide us. We are your faithful servants. We will go where you call us to go. And we thank you for the power of the Spirit that makes your message clear to us and to all those we come in contact with. 
We love you, Father, and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.